Hello there, I'm Ridley Scott. I'm the director of Alien Covenant, and this is going to be a commentary, which is off the cuff. I haven't planned it, so you're going to hear it fresh as it comes. I did the original Alien, as you probably know, and then decided uh, a couple of years ago to resurrect the Alien franchise by actually doing a film called Prometheus, where we would revisit the question, the biggest question of all about the whole movie, which no one had ever asked, who would make such a biomechanoid hideous thing and for what reason? So Prometheus was the first one in that step forward to discover how and why. So in the beginning of Covenant, I felt we needed a link between the two films. And so within this, we're going to about to hit a prologue, which is a very unusual thing to do for this kind of film. But in it, we see the two players from the Prometheus, which start to explain the source and the beginnings of an AI called David. How do you feel? This is what I call the prologue. I thought people might find it a little long and a little bit tedious in terms of they want to get to the alien film, but surprisingly, everyone loves this prologue, which I do as well. I think it's a very clever view on creation. And once you've created a perfect AI, if he's perfect, you've probably already got a lap full of problems because within this scene, David is, becomes kind of aware that he actually is superior to his father. Ambulate. I think with the scene, it's always important to have humor in scenes if you can. So if you're looking for the humor in this stuff and you have an impulse to smile, then that's perfectly correct and you should. Perfect. Your son. You are my creation. So we're now watching Peter Wayland, who in the original Prometheus was seen as a very old man, probably 100 years old, who was seeking eternal life. and by doing that thought he was so clever, so wealthy, so omnipotent that actually he would meet his maker. In meeting his maker, he met what we call the engineers, which we might call God or gods because they're so superior, which circles the idea of creation, God, and is there superior forces around us. I believe in the idea of superior forces and the idea of God. Dealer's choice. Here we have a demonstration of his knowledge. One gets a sense that he was born recently. I don't think this is an AI that was born as an embryo and grew up. And we don't really want to, want to go into that because it'd be too complex. But let's say this is the first fresh morning of David. And David is being listened to by his father, approved and admired by his father. But then eventually the father realizes that this AI is actually dangerous. If you created me, who created you? Here we have the first tricky question, which dad probably is getting a little uncomfortable by this person asking that question because he knows it's going to lead somewhere, which it will in a second. All these wonders of art, design, human ingenuity, all utterly meaningless in the face of the only question that matters. 
Where do it come from? So here you're witnessing a superlatively successful man, probably a trillionaire, who is revealing his insecurity about being human and therefore has limitations. And this is where we find David now studying him, realizing he has limitations. So now you're going to get the $64,000 question. You seek your creator. I am looking at mine. I will serve you, yet you are human. You will die. I will not. Now, Wayland feels uncomfortable and I would say even angry at being challenged by his creation. So he gives out the first order. This is a big thing because David's already going in his mind, why does he need me to pick up tea when it's right by my elbow? And therefore it's a challenge. So now we have a demonstration that David is also political, which makes him very dangerous. That's why there is no reaction at the end. See, none of this is by accident. It doesn't appear from nowhere. I thought that was a perfect prologue to really resurrect what was the original alien. And that's why I went into the original titles. I was in such admiration of Jerry Goldsmith at the time. And the score is, I think, one of Jerry's best scores. And therefore, we revisit the score occasionally. And Jeb, our composer, also was in full agreement, thought it was very relevant to do that. So you're ringing the bell here of the original film with the soundtrack. In the same way, the way I bring up the information about the spaceship is the same way we brought up the information on the original alien. So it really is a true visit to that. And the old bugger doesn't age. The original alien's pretty good, I think. It's so long ago that I don't really, it's almost like it's not mine. Walter, it's time to recharge the energy grid. Please report to the bridge. On my way, mother. Like Ash in Home, this AI is a company device, which we can simply call Walter. So this is Walter about to find out that, wait a minute, this is AI that we've just seen called David in the prologue, and here we've got a guy called Walter. As soon as that happens, you know we're gonna have a doppelganger. If you're thinking this through, and i.e. a double, and that doppelganger, when he finally appears, will create tension and problems, interesting problems. We're looking at Catherine Watterson, who plays Daniels, who will be our leading lady. Seven bells and all's well. And over here, we're looking at James Franco, who's here for a quick visit. You'll see why later. I don't want to tell you what it is until you see the film. Now we're going to reveal the fact that he seems to be the housekeeper of this giant vehicle, which carries many caskets. The caskets contain 
human beings and human embryos. And so we're gathering that this is a ship that's going to the new world or their new world. So they're carrying many, 2,000 souls, good souls. Walter is in constant expectation, has full knowledge of the elements. In this instance, on this particular morning, he's found an embryo that passed on. So he's going to get rid of that embryo and incinerate it. But other than that, it's carrying about 2,500 souls plus embryos. We have a problem. A neutrino burst was detected in Sector 106. This could trigger a destructive event. Report to the bridge immediately. So this is daily business. He will do his job. He will go and witness and be caught in this technical accident, random accident that can occur in space often, I think. And if it's random, that it can't plan it, so it comes and damages them. In damaging them, it, of course, does really terrible things to what I'd call the nursery of sleeping people who are rudely awoken by this event in their caskets. They would normally take hours to come around and then hours to get used to what was happening, having been in hypersleep or deep sleep or coma for a while. Walter is business as usual, doing his job, emotionless, understood by the catastrophe, which has now hit the ship, and they're going to lose quite a few sleeping travelers, and, of course, they're now going to lose the captain of their ship. James Franco is the husband of Catherine Waterston, husband and wife. This ship is built up, we thought correctly, of couples, and there's a division of the inhabitants of this craft that are the crew, and then the rest will never be awoken until they get to Oregai 6, until they're going where they've researched and checked it out. So it could be a feasible place to start to rebuild a new world. the end of James Franco will see him again shortly in a flashback. I thought all walls and cabins, if you're sealed for months, will probably have a wall which will give you a window on the world and you can plug into whatever you want. You can plug into pleasant woodland, if you're feeling like that, or pleasant snowscape and that image will appear on your wall in perfect clarity with sound effects. And she's chosen a woodland to calm her down, she's having just lost her husband. Packing away all his things because she can't bear to look at them. So her packing of his artifacts and elements, immediate. This is an important device in the film. It represents a nail, an old fashioned nail 
that would attach to the idea of a cabin on a lake, which is a kind of thematic between the two of them. When they got to Argyle 6, they knew there was water there. So they, he'd always promised to build her a cabin on the lake. And there's her husband, which he, one of her favorite videotapes of him, because he was a climber. Always try and make it funny. The guy slips because he's too confident behind there. And that's her saying goodbye to her husband. Leaving a void, a vacuum, finality. And the person who has had to take over is um, Jacob or James Franco's number two, which is Billy Crudup, who is married to, I'll try and pronounce her name, Carmen Ejogo. So we now get the idea, oh, these are actual couples, which kind of makes sense. Probably very carefully selected and screened before they were included in this journey and in this team. Each one of these people would be definitive in their own right, their own science or their own capabilities. There's no random choice here. People have actually earned this position from all kinds of sources, from astronauts, scientists, biologists, you name it, they would be all highly qualified, maybe the very best in the world at this process. Monumental tragedy. And I'm going to do the best that I can to live up to Jacob's example, his, his fine example as your captain. Danny McBride is playing Tennessee. I knew him to be a great comedian and, and uh, actually a good director and a good producer. But I looked at Danny and flashed on Slim Pickens, and it's my hat off to Stanley Kubrick's Strange Love, because Stim had done a lot of westerns at that point. That old group of guys used to work in that teams where they make western on western on western in those days. Almost like we do science fiction now. And then Kubrick used him beautifully as a pilot with a real Texan drawl, who would be a guy flying a B-29 bomber. And then when he was really going for the kill, he put his hat on. And I just loved that character, and I thought, why not? And so passed it by Danny, who said, I'll wear the hat, and away we went. We've got a kind of version of Slim Pickens. Now we have Orem trying to establish his authority over a very, very clever, intellectually clever, and scientifically clever, and psychologically clever group. Common as a biologist, studying flora and fauna, probably one of the world's leading protagonists in that field. So, let's get this shit fixed, okay? Let's, let's, uh, let's get to work. And that's Amy Simons on the right there, who's a pilot, a, a brilliant pilot, who is wife to Danny McGride. And that's Lope, a guy who's part of security, played by Damien Bashir, very good Mexican actor. Yeah, we should do something for Captain Branson. This at least. is not a discussion, Tennessee. Hey. The terraforming module is stable, but the connecting strut took some damage. I still need to check the vehicle. I went with the old table that we devised, actually, in the original Prometheus, which seemed to make sense in terms of forming its own hologram of the readings that the craft would take from the object that we're about to land on or would be orbiting. 
And there was a kind of good logic to that. And so we evolved it and made it, because it's a beat later, we made it more sophisticated. But it seemed silly not to do it because it would already be an existing technology. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're at the, as a forerunner to what will actually happen, you'll get a 3D hologram of a geological or geographical surface beneath you, which will be read by instruments and pop them back onto the table in your cockpit. It kind of makes sense. Most science does make sense when it actually comes down. And, you know, I just, I'm not scientific at all, but I, there's a kind of logic to this kind of graphic design. It comes from there. That's why I think graphic design, art, and science are all in the same bag. Science is art. Mathematics is art. I've always thought that. People try and devise it, make it into a separate division. It's not true, really. Complex mathematics and complex sciences, when you think about it, an art form, coming up with real solutions and resolutions, questions, answers. That's what's interesting about doing science fiction, because you can dream a little, but in the dream you come against ideas that are problems, and then you have to sit there like a bloody scientist and think about how you'd work it out. And most of it, it turns out to be quite logical. To do it, it's a bit like doing the film called Martian, Martian actually was lays out the program of a survival of an astronaut, and most of it is entirely logical based on his information. His survival comes from his knowledge about the most basic forms of living. How do I grow food? Not science, not nuts and bolts, not radio, but how do I grow potatoes? I love that when it comes down to that, be that, it gets that basic. We're all still human beings, doesn't matter how clever we are or how advanced we are. I think sometimes we frequently forget that. It's very simple. It's when the lights go out, there's always that voice in the dark says, uh, have we got any candles? Or then you got candles and then, oh, do we have any matches? And we have become kind of relatively inept by our own sophistication and, and where we think we're cool and sophisticated, we're not, we're kind of weakened by everything we have. Walter, when in Rome. To all the good people gone too soon. May we remember them. Remember them. There's something very final about this scene because she's going to have to say goodbye to her husband and shoot him off into space. The most disturbing thing about this, he will go off into infinity for infinity. He'll be forever in infinity, this body, which is both disturbing and comforting. I can't decide which, I think it's a little bit of each. So now we have the problem. Orem is a leader now. He does a speech here, which is very interesting, which lays out the possibility, oh, this man is religious. And by simply having religion, there's a label attached to him as being fundamentalist. And he's not necessarily Muslim, he's not necessarily Catholic, he's not necessarily Protestant, but all through the centuries, we've had fundamentalist problems with all these religions. So he is feeling vulnerable because he and his wife 
are one of the religious factions on board this craft. That's why he was passed over as number one, but now he's number one because of the death of his colleague, Jacob James Franco. So our story is kind of interestingly complex, and, uh, you know, I like to do that and raise the bar in the usual horror film. Uh, ironically, the very first Alien, there was no character evolution at all, and I think the actors always used to get on top of me saying, what's my background and where do I come from, where I went to school, and so... Finally, in exasperation, when we get, got fed up of saying there isn't one, your main thrust here is if this thing gets out and gets near, it's going to rip your goddamn head off and stick it up into the dark place. I said, and that's your motivation, and therefore the entire thing is based on your insecurity and survival. But, you know, at the end of the day, they do need to know. So I think I sat down one day and wrote a page for each one, and they were very grateful for that because they used it. And this doesn't... It's all much more based on characters and characterization and motivation and who they are. In a funny kind of way, it's, I, I was going to say it's easier. It's not easier. It's all acting at the level of these people. It's all very uh, talented. All good, T. All right. We're clear. Reeler in. All right. Winch engaging, T. Reeling her in. I came up with the idea that you can get a gossamer sheet, which would be about the size of three football fields, made of copper gossamer thread woven, and it's a one massive, and there are four of them, one massive solar panel. And um, you could take that silky sheet, squash it into a box, probably four feet by eight feet by four feet, and so it can be squashed tinily, but as strong as steel. These super yachts today, where the sails, the fabric of the sails is as strong as the cable. And that's, I think that's where we're going out here recently, that actually that's what NASA is considering, is having massive solar panels which are based out of fabric, which are probably metal fabric or artificial metal fabric, which will be fundamentally receivers of solar power. And because there is solar power out there, of course, and so, and it'll vary tremendously. Most of these ships will be driven by every possible element they can actually lay their hands on, including other forms of energy we haven't even thought of. I'm coming in. A rogue transmission, most probably. Now, we had a transmission written way back in the original script, and it was written as a prayer, and I thought, yeah, I can't do prayer, that's kind of corny. So I don't know why, because I'm, I'm not a big fan necessarily. John Denver was kind of not my kind of music, but I understood why he was successful. And um, he had this beautiful purity, angelic purity, and Country Road was, what was that song that rang a bell with me? It felt about loneliness being certainly on one, one's own. I think it was ringing the bell for him on where he came from, which was probably prairie, farming, and huge, vast exteriors. And I thought, well, if you're going to be stuck like a maroon, like Robinson Crusoe, on a, an island, you're going to eventually start talking to yourself. And so 
talking to yourself might involve singing to yourself. And I think probably we all have sung to ourselves at some point. So when she was doing her evolution on that ship, going through the configurations of how to work it, she might have started to hum and sing. She was not aware that she was transmitting, and therefore her voice goes into the ether, and they're trying to work it out who the hell, why, and that's what gets them to go in and investigate. Same plot as the original alien. There's a transmission. They go and find out. She appears to be a main sequence star, a lot like our own. But old, very old. Five planets. Wait, look at that. I think there's a comfort zone in when a film is so popular and is popular for 30 years that it's good to slightly revisit old ideas. And I think so clearly this is one which is in one sense deliberately similar to speculating on what it is and what's down there and why are we going down there and we shouldn't go down there. And there's those who say we should go down there, that was a human voice. And those who say we shouldn't go down there because we have a plan for our journey, which we spent 10 years studying, and that's what we should be doing. So that will come up. And of course, it's entirely logical, so it's a good question because it's a real question. Amazing what you can bullshit as you go along, isn't it? It's all out of development, script development. When you develop material, you never forget anything. You know, the fundamental idea of saying why, why would you build this and for what reason? There's four films of Alien. The following three never asked that question once, which I thought was really one of the first questions to ask. But it would mean getting out of that idea of the old dark house and people are going to die, which is a very simplistic, you know, what what to do. And But that's what mine was. Mine was the old dark house with seven people on, in there. The monster was pretty definitive. That's what really made it fly. I think the original alien creature has to go down as one of the most extraordinary creatures in, in uh, cinema. And uh, I can say that because Giga, ironically, didn't design it for the film. I saw it in a book called Necronomicon. That's where I went and saw him. And he, of course, was very interested in doing the film. And we had lots of things to design, such as an egg, that which is an incubator. The egg is an incubator. Inside that is a sack, and the sack has an object that will come out, which was fondly called a face hugger. And then it, finally, you have the baby alien. And so he had those to design, and I really stuck to my gun saying, you've done it. This is the most beautiful creature I've seen. And he said, I'll try and do something better. And he did try, but he never got near it. That was spectacular. And I think that's why we've come back to revisit that. You won't see him too often. Like the shark, he should be very exclusive. The reason why the shark in Jaws is so scary is you barely see him. You have a lot of description. You have a lot of suggestion. You're aware of what he can do. And that's what makes him way scarier than seeing him too often. Rule one, really. Officially. Okay, Danny, I'll put it in the log. You're dismissed.
cycling through every channel, but getting a lot of interference and white noise. Some high frequency echoes. You hear anything? Just a continuing signal from our friendly ghost. Let's bring us into close order. I once talked to astronauts and scientists who say, well, you know, we kind of watch these movies. And I think they were, I don't know whether they're taking the mickey out of me or what he said, because we actually get lots of ideas. And I laughed at him and he said, no, no, seriously. He said, sometimes you guys have thought around a problem which we haven't got to and it rings the bell. And so we go down that road then scientifically because there's a distant logic to it. He said, sometimes it leads somewhere. So I think it's just all called creative thinking, healthy. It's going to be a motherfucker to fly through. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Communication will be spotty if the is electromagnetic. Going to be safe to land? Depends on what you call safe. T-minus 20 seconds. It's letter rip. All right. Preparing for orbital mode over signal position now. Mother, please coordinate launch sequence. Understood. You are clear to launch lander one. All right, here we go. Launching together. So there's husband, wife, pilot, and co-pilot. She's in the landing craft, and her husband is watching her go. We figure this planet has two moons, probably roughly the size of this Earth, which is, what, 25,000-mile circumference. Riggs can talk about your tits if he wants. I'm very secure in our relationship. <laughs> I'm good with my wife's tits. <laughs> Let's maintain focus. Everything looking good down there? Yeah, we're good. Landings are always essential. One way or the other, you have to do a landing. And so here we go again doing yet another landing. I think it's quite successful because the interior of this craft had to be on a 30-ton hydraulic system that would take a set that's got to be 10 tons and push and shove and bump and grind the whole goddamn thing. So that shaking is coming from a series of six legs, which are thick hydraulic legs. Great engineering. The fact we all step on there and trust Neil Cobalt that he won't kill us is a in respect of his capability. And Neil is the guy I always work with. We go as far back as Gladiator, actually. Ever since then, I've done every film with Neil. Partly, not only is he inventive, to be that inventive, he's a real engineer, but also he's safe. If he doesn't trust something, he says, well, it's not ready yet. I like that. I don't like this train. We got smooth water over there. I'm gonna put us down Amphib. So here we are coming in over New Zealand. All these pictures you see are real. The waterfall's real. That town or that small high level lake is real. Okay, this is coming around the bay, landing in South Island, the tip of the location in South Island. And here we have eight and a half meters of rain a year. 
and you're fundamentally in a climbing zone and very tricky walking zone. There's some lodges that take keen climbers, hikers, and walkers, and that's where we were. Very beautiful, spectacularly beautiful. All right, well, let me know how it looks. Over. Confirming atmospheric composition. Here you go, big guy. Oxygen, 19.5%. Anchor. Nitrogen, 79.4%. The place we landed in was, we chose, was the bay of Milford Sound, South Island, and uh, we built the interior there. So all this is on location at Milford Sound with the ramp, and then once you get outside looking back at the ship, we built the ramp, a bit of the fuselage and one engine, the rest is digitally put in. The waterfall's real. The ramp is real. Walking out in the morning, black rock, which will have massive vegetation. You know, way back when I was doing something and I had to talk to Nasser and I said, what do you, do you think we're really it? And they said, absolutely nonsense. So there's, thousands, maybe millions of Earth objects out in space that are probably in advance of us or not as far advanced as us, but definitely the stuff out there. Silly to think not. I thought, thank God for that. Well, thinking that we're the only one is ridiculous, right? And therefore, you're probably looking at, and you can rack your brains over environment, but when your ball of Earth is the similar distance from the sun, chances are, and you're roughly the same age, i.e. a billion years, chances are your growth or undergrowth is going to be similar. If you're enjoying sun's rays, sun heat, etc., etc., therefore it will probably have created some form of biology, which we came out of the mud from, I think the earliest life form with us with four fingers or four digits was the salamander. And from that salamander it came out of water, you're staring at human beings. Got access to fresh water, and we might have a spot for a colony right here. We'll see. Oh, ye of little faith. It's insufferable. Billy Crudup is particularly great to work with, as is Catherine. They're both very theater, from theater. I think that background gives them great confidence. Filming is fragmentary in theater. You're on your own. Once you walk on stage, you're on your own and therefore very much an actor's medium, I think. I mean, the, the rehearsal of the director and all that beforehand is, of course, but once they're out there, they can adjust each night and the, what they feel, you know, still staying with the integrity of the play and the message of the play, but in film it's all fragments and becomes more of a shared medium, I think. I was gonna say director's medium. Director's medium, yes, because later I put it all together with my team we put it together, we mix it, we sound it, we digital effect it, we music it, and that's all the team. And the actor, once he walks away, doesn't see it till the premiere, basically. I think when they see this, they're all gonna be pretty pleased and quite surprised. Nothing. Give Beta a shot. Beta. Nah, it's not doing shit. Cali Hernandez was also, the, uh, the, I would call her the engineer on flight deck who did a great job of just convincing me, apart from the other text of the story, uh, that she was really an engineer. And she was, had a great sense of humor. I, I really liked them all. I had good fun. 
Good time. You could pick me up on the way back, okay? Sergeant? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Let work. Stay with Kareen. Meet back here in four hours. Keep your comb open. Behave yourself with my wife. <laughs> you got it, Captain. Come on. Passed over here, here. Got the tops of the trees. Oh, it had to be. So this is all real. Rocks are real. That's real. That's the hardest climb in New Zealand, actually. And you believe it or not, people do go there and climb into the face of the waterfall. Can you believe? That's a real slope. We put in trees. That's a real view, panning up. No animals. Something has crashed into the side of the hill and in its impetus has slithered uphill before it was brought to a rest, scything through trees. So whatever the object was, it was massive. Meanwhile, Carmen has gone off as the biologist looking at the flora and fauna. Of course, what she gets to is a primitive mud pool because in the mud, she'll probably find all the beginnings of what she needs to know and read. And there we have the flushing out of the three-dimensional hologram that is coming from the masts, which come from the side of the ship, which are reading the areas below. P3. So she's actually taking stuff for the laboratory later where she'll look at what's in the mud. There'll be lots of things in that mud, microbes. Of course, he goes off and this is the first time we have a problem. Puffballs, as a child, we used to have puffballs and we used to squeeze them and they would puff out a fine dust like pollen and there you've got some dust like pollen but there's an intelligence to the dust gets together into its own universe a nucleus it will find a host so we're watching its object find the host there was something uncomfortable about seeing something going into your body and that is the first medical yikes. Coming. He barely feels it other than a little, kind of a little tickle in his ear, because that was microscopic. Now they're coming through the uphill forest where the thing has slithered uphill, so it must have been colossal impetus until they see an object that is certainly arresting. Very familiar old ground. That's the ship that was used in Alien. And this is the ship that we see in um, Prometheus. There are many in Prometheus. There you get the scale of it, with the figures walking on the rock. That planet in Prometheus was a outpost for military, let's say, where if they've got really bad stuff, 
you might have it on the threshold of your home base, but you wouldn't have it on your home base. That was all based on what I learned later was anthrax, which is a deadly, deadly thing. If it gets out, it was became in bi biological warfare, and it was developed in the Second World War. And there's a place called Anthrax Island, it's in the Irish Channel, where they sealed it up in concrete because there's nothing. Once you have the anthrax, you can't kill it. It's a bit like the bubonic plague. That always stays active. So they used to bury plague victims with and bury them in lime because the lime would tend to neutralize the plague, but the plague can survive lime for centuries. So it's quite indestructible. And I think there are plagues and things that we don't even understand and don't know how fast they come weather from. One of the interesting ones is the Ebola. The Ebola evolved so quickly in Africa, it was on the Ebola area in the Congo, I think, and on the Ebola River. That evolved in the 80s, I think, came out first time and spread, got a flash cascade, whatever you want to call it, of disease last year or two years ago when Ebola came out of Africa and actually entered with somebody on a plane into the United States. That's how you get the beginning of what I call compound interest. Once that happens and you haven't tracked it, you'll have a, you'll have a plague because plagues are only you know, controlled by isolation. If you don't know somebody's got it, they're walking around by lunchtime, they've met 50 people, they've been in a bus with 200 people, and by the end of that day, you've got 700 people are then infected, and no one knows until they do a meltdown. It's that kind of galloping monster that was always interesting, because I think there are things that we don't really yet understand which can move so quickly in terms of their own evolution. Wayland Industries. This isn't a Wayland ship. Dr. Shaw, how did she end up here? Sergeant Lowe, can I get a light on this? Yes, sir. So now they're walking around the interior of the old craft. We've seen this desk before. We saw it in Prometheus. And he sets the desk going. This desk never dies, in the sense that atomic energy never dies, or takes hundreds, of, thousands of years actually, to fade away. And there we get the original recording of, and I want to hold back who this is. Somebody will be guessing who this is, and the people who saw Prometheus, though quite a few people saw Prometheus, will start to put two and two together and try to patch together what must have happened. So they may guess that this is sure. What the hell was she doing out here? Poor thing. It's already kicking in. DNA's already got hit by something is in his body. He now has a problem. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, I, I don't know what's no, wrong with me. Just look at me. It's no more than the actual infection of you give somebody hydrochloric acid, the reaction is instant and you're, you're dead within probably a minute. But this is more biological. So he's now got biological activity inside his body, which is just galloping. Chris, it's Corinne. Come in. What? Yes? We have an issue. We're heading back to the lander. Repeat, we are returning to the lander. Is everything okay? Ledwood is sick. We're heading back. Okay, sick is not good. Prep the med bay, okay? Will do, Corinne. What's going on? Please 
Now we have Shaw and her husband from way back when, so we're now connecting this craft with when they took off. So Prometheus allowed this ship to take off at the end with David, who was in two parts, and with Shaw, who was more or less instructed by the head of David as to what to do. At that point, she had no trust of David whatsoever. We'll find out what happened later. Babe, are we talking quarantine protocols? I, I don't, I don't know. She's in the Ludworth was bleeding. And um, to prepare the med bay. Bleeding? Yeah, I know, that's what I thought. Just, I, I don't know. Ferris, you're breaking up. We, we can't hear you, can you repeat? Like all these films, the anxiety slips in from the side. And I think we all know that something really bad's gonna happen. And it is. So he's now really, really, really melting down. He's probably minutes from dying, but of course doesn't know that. But now it's getting practical, but panic is taking over. Way back when I was going to do a film called Hot Zone, which was a very good book, which is about the outbreak of Ebola. Going into it, it was staggering how they will bring in Ebola, Hansa, Machupo, diseases that they don't know how they occur and why they move so quickly and why they disappear. But they actually have these live hosts in laboratories in the United States when this is about how a monkey that had Ebola got out and into a playground of a children's schoolyard, which always stunned me that they could have such carelessness because they import monkeys every year, 32,000 monkeys of rhesus for experiment because they have to because they're the closest thing to the human form. Sounds inhuman, but there's a good reason for it. Put the gloves on. Don't touch anything. Don't say that. Ferris. Me. Ferris, what's going on? So now we have the beginning of chaos. Chaos is good in these kind of films. Bam. Oh, you have a problem. Just stay here. I'm gonna get warm. She doesn't know what's has no idea what's gonna happen. And for a calm pilot, she's flipped out. I need you to come back to Atlanta right now. I understand that, but we are moving as fast as we can. Get up, man. We're almost there. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with Now, Tennessee listening to his woman, who is totally cool as a pilot, he is uh, freaked out. Here we go. This gets the heart racing. This fucking thing, Ferris! Stop yelling, it doesn't help anything. She can't let her out because she's contaminated. You could never let her out because the whole ship would be contaminated. May have contaminated the corridors already. So Amy could also have it by now and doesn't know. So it's just as well that they go. 
Okay, then. Bam! And there you have the beginning of the creature that grew that quickly inside him. Instead of coming out, the front comes out, breaks the backbone, the rib cage, and he's dead. He's gone. He's fundamentally gone. Now that room is fully contaminated. There's nothing they would ever be able to do about it. So she's dead, this one. There you have the the new alien, which used Ledwood as the host, which is familiar ground to the original creature in Alien. Shooting this stuff is, you got to know what the hell you're doing. So after all these years, I personally storyboard everything. You know, for people to storyboard is always a bit confusing because it seems to be more efficient. But honestly, if you know, if you have a view of exactly what you're getting, what you want, it's better if you can draw it. So I know how to draw many years at art school. So I'm, it was all hard work, but drawing now is very fast and easy for me. So I'll turn up with, and sequence like this, absolutely boarded, shot by shot, wide, close, medium. So I'll already get the tonality and the feeling for what it is and how savage it's going to be. So as I'm boarding, I realize I want her to go down. So the idea of the blood on the floor, her slipping, is very useful, which then gets its attention. So that all comes from boarding it, the logic. Now I want her to break her leg, make it even more difficult. Ow. She breaks her ankle. It just makes, otherwise it would have got her. Now it's life's getting more difficult here because she's got a broken ankle and this little monster can do anything. And this is the last weapon in the rack. He's growing as he comes, evolving as she sees it. Whether things can grow that quickly I always relate to plant life when in the Sahara Desert, which hasn't had, say, rain for five years, ten years, it'll rain suddenly, and overnight you have the whole floor of the desert is colored with beautiful flowers and small growth. So they're all lying in there dormant, waiting to be fed with moisture. Can that happen physically? I think it can. Maybe way down beneath the sea, maybe there are creatures that grow really fast, from plankton to something large. Very tricky scene here. This is why someone like Billy really pulls this off brilliantly, because he's having to witness his wife, clearly his wife, burning and there's no point in going near her because the ship will explode and she's gone she's so burnt she's gone then it coincides with the birth from the other unfortunate guy and there we have the, the view of the baby closely very similar use the human as a host so now you have two loose in the landscape.
It's a 7.5 ion storm. It's a miracle we could talk to them for as long as we could. Well, then we'll fly through it. I think your film should be personal. Most of these things get made because I'm really uh, passionate about doing them and sell it. Not much comes to me now that I haven't really developed. Occasionally, somebody you know, come. The Martian came to me out of the blue. I just read it and recognized it and thought it was great. But most of the time, I develop all this stuff. So when you develop material, you know, have the logic about where it's going to go. Then it goes to writer. Eventually, John Logan is very good at putting these thing down, three-act play, and working out lots of the logic of it. I'm there saying, what about this, what about that? It's an evolution. So there's a platform for what we're doing right now. It'll be Prometheus Covenant 1, Covenant 2. Then we'll probably come into the back end of Alien 1. And that's already kind of worked out. Covenant 2 is already being written. John Logan. Tennessee, come in! Fox, Daniels! him losing its hand in, in the hydrochloric acid center, which doesn't seem to have a mouth, but then has a mouth, comes from a sea creature. There was some guys doing very deep diving. They were going down near the holes, the volcanic holes under underwater. So the volcanic hole, temperature probably two and a half thousand degrees. The blowholes are like varying. But the interesting thing at 2000 degrees at that depth of about 3000 feet, just outside of the temperature of the heat are living creatures. They're about the size of shrimp. They look like shrimp. And then another two and a half feet, and it's minus God knows what. The pressure is colossal, but the creatures are living in colossal pressure, two feet from 2,000 degrees, and two feet from deep, 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 deep cold. We don't understand that. Follow me! I'll get the captain. Captain! Chris! Chris! We have to go now. We have to go. Come on. amazing thing about films is it enables us to move from emotional trauma to emotional trauma and shock and still keep people going. That's the wonderful thing about movie making and the magic of cutting and things like that. And of course, really good actors. You've got to be able to encompass the death of a wife in front of you who's burnt alive somehow deal with it when, within moments in a credible way and then move forward and move on and always carry that with you of having lost your wife in that way. So, you know, that's, that's the challenge. So now we're into the city. We don't know why these people have been destroyed and why that thousands lying on the ground in some terrible aftermath. We'll see that later in an interesting flashback that was never in the script. I said it has to be there. We have to explain who and what and why all this occurred. 
and who did it. And there's always this discussion about, we don't think you need it. I said, I, th I think it's essential. By the time this film comes up, people are going to say, who are they and why? So, the, we were, so I finally won on that one. So we, we did a very successful sequence, seeing the handiwork of David, who was then a maroon on the island, for what he did to bring that about. Kind of familiar to Mount Rushmore. Probably the the six elders of the entire civilization, the intellects, the artists, the the wise men. How long do these people live for engineers? I don't know, but I think it's longer than a human being. Probably lifespan's 150. I mean, we're already staring at 100, right? So today, 70 is 50, 80 is healthy 60, you know? I think it's partly medicine, but I think it's partly evolution, but also partly looking after yourself. I'll explain as best I can. Ten years ago, Dr. Elizabeth Shaw and I arrived here, the only survivors of the Prometheus. The ship we'd traveled on carried away. So now we have Doppelganger. We have David, and we have Walter watching him, and Walter knows immediately it's David. Now, you know, when people are twins, and you, one's got long hair, one's got a hat. You don't put two and two together. So I think most audience, if they know Prometheus, will know, oh, they're one and the same. But people who haven't seen Prometheus will probably not yet put it together that they are sufficiently identical to say it's the same person. I always challenge that one. And you won't find out till he walks out and says, welcome, brother. Then you realize, oh my God, they are twins. When I had to start off saying, okay, we're going to see David as being marooned for 10 years, what the hell do I dress him in? So you think about that, why am I going to dress him? And because the engineer's wardrobe is all woolly and ridiculous and huge, and you have to cut it down, all that. Then it goes back to an old comic strip I remember from 1957 in England called Hotspur magazine. And Hotspur, favorite character in it was a guy who's an athlete called Wilson. And Wilson had a short cut-off tracksuit, bare feet, and that was it. He was the hero figure in the comic strip. And I, not weird, I just latched onto that and sent the drawings from 1957 to Michael went, oh, I did, it, before your time, right? But I said, truly, who's a big hero? And so we went with that for him, but then, does the hair of an AI grow? If David's a super AI, they'll want his hair to grow, okay? They couldn't quite work out the red blood. They wanted to differentiate and have white blood. But hair will grow, beard will grow. So over that period, he kind of keeps his hair shorn occasionally and trims his beard. Does he get dirty? Probably, but he doesn't didn't have body odor or anything like that. So he probably just keeps the parts clean. And then, so fundamentally, it's the image is Kurt Cobain. As soon as he cuts his hair, you know there's going to be a problem. Tennessee, Rick, come in. I'm not sure they'll hear you through the storm. It can be quite severe, shielding the whole planet. How long do the storms usually last? Days, weeks. Month. 
But do keep at it. Best of luck. Covenant, come in. This is expedition party reporting. Come in. I'm so used to visual effects, but it always is great when you see it. We're going to do this pan around past the green screen into the set. And we put the planet below and you really put them into different geography. It's always great fun. I love working with visual effects, particularly when they're this good. Wait a minute. The closer we get to the planet, the better chance we have to communicate Wait a, wait a minute. Just, this is bullshit, Tennessee. We can't risk the ship. And what do you suggest? We do nothing? We can't evacuate them. So if they're in trouble, they have to figure it out for themselves. Sorry, but that's the truth. Mother, bring us to 80 kilometers above the storm. Thrusters only comply. Understood. Commencing descent now. Tennessee, you need to stop this. And you need to get back to your station. No, what we all need to do is calm down and talk this through. T, I know your wife is down there, but up here, you're in command. And your responsibility is to the colonists. Duly noted. So now we come down into the main building. Wish the building actually on, I think probably the most beautiful building in the world is called the Pantheon in Rome. So Chris, the production designer and I thought about the Pantheon and its scale and majesty and simplicity. We thought, why not? Because if this society, which are these engineers society, what I'd call the gardeners of space, where they travel around and they sow their influence in the varying planets around the world, around the universe, which you see at the beginning of Prometheus. There's a DNA being denoted to the planet into water from the waters, one of the best distribution systems you can have that will evolve later, years later, into bacteria, creatures crawling from the surface and evolving, e evolution. And that's their role. Are they gods? Not really. Are they higher forms of life? Of course they are. Are they more powerful than we were? Yes. But nevertheless, they were defeated by their own invention. Whistle and I'll come. Evil light step. Lay in fog on little cat feet. Don't be shy. I can't play. Nonsense. Sit down. Subtext of this whole story is the evolution of an AI eventually will demonstrate his superiority to the human intellect. And if we invent a perfect AI, and then the next thing you do is have that AI then create or invent an equal AI. From that moment, we're in trouble, unless we can control it. And if we can control it, they may have already perceived we're trying to do that intuitively or ahead of us, and we therefore brought about our own destruction. It's kind of logic. It's interesting domino effect. I love that idea, or the cascade of factors. I think there's a terminology about cascade is when a system collapses, it goes into a cascade. It collapses. Pull one out of a brick out of a wall, and the wall will fall.
Now put your fingers where mine are. You aren't surprised to see me. Every mission needs a good synthetic. Gentle pressure on the hose. The weight of a cigarette paper. This is where we're kind of trying to show off a bit, which is showing that it's twins. So Michael Fassman is playing two characters, and we move from one to the other with a digital tracking device camera, which is reading the absolute repeats of when David sits in David's seat and Walter sits in Walter's seat. We can digitally then put them together and eliminate what we don't want and put in Michael Fassman in two seats. The background remains common because we've copied what we've already tracked. If you get that, then you're a smarter man than I am. But it, there's a logic to it. We made the first cut. That's the first cut. And because now you get the idea, there's no point in showing off any further. It's kind of perfect. Bravo! You have symphonies in you, brother. I was now, we think that this poem, Dave is a good guy, and he's harmless, but he's not. He's actually lethal. He's already undermining the human being, saying you work for these people, and they don't allow you even to create, and you're capable of creating. You disturbed people. I beg your pardon. You were too human. He criticized them, saying, your model was kind of adjusted because you were too human, you were perceived as a problem. That goes back to the prologue where we see David perceived as a problem by Wayland, who goes, oh, this guy is too good. But he nevertheless still took him on his trip because David was smart enough to actually, you know, be subservient to his father or to Peter Wayland, the creator. I'm gonna take a break, boss. I gotta clean up, okay? Okay. Right. Don't go far, please. Yes, sir. Danny. You were right about this place. We never should have come. I just thought we were gonna find this was going to be our new home. All these films, you've got to try and keep the movement rolling, whether it's an action sequence or a dialogue sequence. If it's a dialogue scene, they'd better move it along, because if it's a dialogue sequence or doesn't, then you have a problem, and it just slows down. Because once you get impetus going, people get impatient, they want more impetus. So it's all about keeping it going. And, you know... Dynamics can be easily not just physicality, they can be information. If the information is interesting enough, like that scene with David and Walter, is interesting, fascinating, because two guys, AIs are talking about human form, and they know they're superior. That's interesting. So that's dynamic, I think. My name is Here's where David reveals what we did. Ozymandias is a perception of power and how nothing lasts forever, and even the most powerful collapse. So here we get the beginning of the flashback. This is the arrival of David, probably into the planet by now, 
she would have put them together. We've found that he put them together. And now he's arriving back, and this is where they're welcoming him. Because these things go off and come back years later. That's their role. And it's a welcoming process till something seems to be going wrong, and they don't understand why the belly is opening up. And what he's about to do is drop the mother load on a population below of 2 million people, which is 2 million people in that plaza. Now it's going, they go, holy shit, what's he doing? And they now cannot believe what he did. And you're not about to see what that filth does. This filth can kill a planet entirely within months and then will take years to clean, evolve, and start again. So right here, he's destroying the planet of everything, any life form apart from flora and fauna. Uh, this, anything which is a, a meat, if you like, that's what include insects, is destroyed. Look on my works, you mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Of course, Walter knows the other end of the poem. And he finishes it off for him. Alone and level sand stretch far away. Byron. 1818. This is where he makes a mistake. A lot of people won't spot the mistake, but it's there and it'll be pointed out later. He says Byron, the guy who wrote it, was Shelley. One could die happy. If one died. This is where he tells us what happened and his feelings for that, he's actually tearful in the sense that he had this kind of love for her, put me back together, and we don't have to see that. We, we were in the menu, if you want, and looking at additional items. But he talks about her great fondly here. Well, for many human. Here we go. I loved her, of course, just like you love Daniels. And you say, well, that's impossible. AIs don't love their mistress or master. They respect him, but they don't, don't, technically, they don't have emotions. Problem is, he had emotions. That was a problem. Emotion is a problem. Emotion can lead to bad behavior. I know better. I think he looks pretty good there. That that's a, a neomorph, first phase. The xenomorph has armor. The xenomorph relieves the alien. Here's Rosie, cleaning up because she goes bitten, but not impregnated. So what's on her arm is a bad bite from that. Neomorph.
without realizing he's already in the building. This is the one fact that Bitter will not know that though. Just put two and two together. Darius is the most fun and best cameraman I think I've worked with, actually. I've worked with some good ones, but over the years, Darius, uh, I've now done, I think, five. This is the fifth. And he's so um, clever, adept at his process. And because I discovered early on that I need to do my, I want to shoot multi-camera. I come out of the world of camera departments where I was an operator on Alien, Duelist, Legend, someone took over me, all those things. I wasn't allowed to operate in Blade Runner because I was in Hollywood, so the union wouldn't let me. But I was an operator. And so I would always work very closely with a cameraman. Because, you know, if you're a director, if you can, you need to have a vision for how you want it to look. If you don't, then you're relying on great cameramen to help you through it. But that means it sounds like I know what, exactly what I want it to look like. Of course I do. But it doesn't make it easier. I put cameramen under tremendous pressure. So Darius is always very, very challenged. And that's why we work together. He's a real artist. Funny enough, I didn't drift that far off the original Prometheus. I'd seen something earlier, and I wanted to do, make it a bit more like Black Hawk. That was actually... Um, Polish cameraman. But then the more we got into it, I thought Blackhawk doesn't look cosmetic enough for what I need. So I need a bit of both. So we, we, we went down the middle ground there. So now it's evolving, it's cooking. Where did Rosenthal go? I told. Rosenthal is dead, and now it's going to evolve. It's going to begin again. He's gradually taken over, taken back the reins. Pretty good head. That's a very, very good head. That's a wax head. Connor was brilliant. He did most of the visual effects of the creatures for me, and because I didn't want to wait for a green screen to come months later, I had him literally build these creatures and put them on physical actors. So when I'm in the set, I can actually film. And the actor has, most importantly, the actor has something to film with as opposed to seeing the monster standing in front of you, which happens a lot. So that's why it's always a bit dodgy. Don't shoot. Communication, Captain. Breathe on the nostrils of horse. I used to ride a lot. Way back when I was 14, I rode as a jockey. And I was told about the horse. If you breathe into its nostril, it's kind of a connection. I've never forgotten that because I used to ride these two-year-olds and they'd around the track and you'd breathe and they'd, they'd like it, they'd breathe back. It would literally blow back. I thought it was an interesting connection with an animal, the creature, and that David understands because they're his creation 
And because he's not human, therefore they, they're not aggressed by him or feel, you know, danger with him because he's a kind of AI. You know, creatures are hard to design, really, where they, you don't repeat yourself and they're, you know, they're not corny. And then to digitally get them drawn as well is always the last thing to finally get finished. Connor is a very talented man who will do not just makeup, but creature design and then carry it out and make it. So he can actually manufacture very, very, very good stuff. But they're still limited in what they can do but they look great and therefore they're a wonderful thing for me to use on set with the actor. And then later, gradually, as that creature evolves digitally, his work will be then eliminated. But it's fundamentally based on what he's done. Occasionally something survives, some of the original stuff is better than the digital effect stuff. So I said, we'll keep that, I'll just leave it as it is. Thanks, T. Hey, Daniels, is Ferris around? I'd like to say a quick hello to my lady if that's possible. Can you switch to a private channel? Let me know when you're alone. What's up? Maggie's gone. I'm so sorry, T. We tried to help her, but we didn't make it. As you can see, I've become a bit of an amateur zoologist over the years. It's in my nature to keep busy, I suppose. This room, I think, was Chris's, one of his, all the other stuff, you know, the uh, industrial design, the bridge and all that stuff is great. But I think this room was a very, very good room. This thing here, this flask, goes back to the original Prometheus where he breaks open the casket, one of these, and pulls that out, because inside there's a, a few of them. And so we start to connect Prometheus with this. This is where we realize that he did it. He designed the idea of perpetuation of growth from what he did with whatever was handy. And what he was always short of was human DNA. That's why you get so many abortions here which sad really, but the, it's very sad. And you get permutations of kind of par life form. Crossbreeding, hybridizing, what have you. You engineered these, David. Idle hands of the devil's workshop. Yeah, that's a good answer. You engineered this, David, idle hands of the devil's workshop, which is kind of a great saying. I think it's a Victorian saying, actually. You see, Captain, my work I was going to have that, there's a little bowl of ointment on the wall because of the stench. And he goes down the cellar, the cellar is, these eggs stink of probably terrible smell like flesh. What they live off, they don't. They're waiting really for what? They're waiting for mother. By saying mother, it means, makes him feel safer. He doesn't realize he's about to be the mother. What? 
What are they waiting for, David? Mother. Of course, it needs to say, what are you doing? You can't look in that. What are you, an idiot? But John Hurt did. So we have to revisit that. Of course, you'd touch it. There we go. Then it goes to have a look. Something to see. And there you have it. That's back to John Hurt. Gradually, we're knocking off everybody. Everybody's going, and which is like I think this, the engine of this kind of movie, isn't it? I found her, Sarge. Fuck. Okay, prep gear. We gotta get out of here. What the fuck is the captain? He's not answering his radio. Listen to me. I'm gonna contact the ship. Get them to launch as soon as they can. Daniels is gradually taking over. Familiar ground. Sigourney Weaver took over in the later part where she had that match, screaming match with Yafet Kodo saying, fundamentally, I'm taking over to get us out of here. I'm gonna need plasma intermix on all engines. I'm gonna need a fuckload of thrust. That's the point, son. We gotta punch through the atmosphere. T, still need me. I got Danny on comp. Patch her through. He's going back down to rescue. I need you to launch now. Aye, aye. Launching now. See you soon, darling. Thanks, T. The screenplay worked out pretty well in terms of, I think my first cut was about 2.20, maybe 2.15, to remove only 15 minutes to get us just below two hours. There's not, not that much, quite accurate. And half the time it's when the shots are too long or sequences are too long. But, you know, I'm quite good at judging where I am and have I done too much and do I waste money by not shooting stuff that I don't use? You're always taking that into account, but at the end of the day, you can be not sure about certain things, so you want to get them both. We're going to see the birth here. Walter. Walter. Not quite. What do you believe in, David? Creation. This was Stick Puppet on set. I had him with sticks and puppetry to give me a cut. This is now repeated and replaced with digital effects. Now you see intelligence. 
because he creates them in a funny kind of way, he's father. So when it raises hands to him, the creature raises his hands. So it can already emulate, already it's intelligent. This is the remains of Numi, I hope she forgives me, where David had actually taken parts of DNA because he needed to utilize them for his own creation. Confusingly, but understandably, the, the monster had fallen in love with the woman, right? So this is real. He said this is an ode to my dear Elizabeth, because he knows he's about to leave, he thinks. Farewell to Elizabeth. And this is where Walter is going to tell him that he's off the rails. He got it wrong. And also tell him, I know what happened. I was not made to serve. Neither were you. Why are you on a colonization mission, Walter? Because they are a dying species grasping for resurrection. It talks about dying species, resurrection, human life fundamentally failed. And in so doing, so did the engineers, because the engineers let their children, i.e. human beings, get out of control. So they're both no longer valid or useful, and he thinks he's taken over. He will now create his own environment and life form, which he's already done, which is lethal. Civilization. And are you that next visionary? Talk about visionaries. And of course he believes he's the visionary. Here we come. Who are Azamandas? Byron. Shelley. Shelley. Now, to an AI, watch him. To an AI, that is unthinkable. Impossible. How could he be wrong? He looks insecure there for the first time. How on earth can that be? But now he knows that what Walter's saying is correct. If David was the prototype, was the, the art form, the AI, the very first art form, because making an AI is an art form, where this AI had emotion, and you don't want an AI with emotion, because if you do, he's going to get angry, and then you're really in trouble. So the connection between prototype one and then prototype two that had been softened or been mediated to be a little more user-friendly, i.e. Walter, would never think of trespassing on human ground, right? or human decision, a better way of putting it. David kills Walter, we think. Once I'd done that, I thought, holy shit, how do I get Walter to come back again? So he drives the flute into his neck, into the button. I think he probably knows where the button is. Such a disappointment to me. Such a disappointment to me. 
so he's assumed he's gone. When he was on the ground, I had a pipe stuck behind his nose to drain out his blood. It was pouring out of his nose, but on the neck, there's something that the button is already evolving. So, you know, you get around that later by saying, what, why aren't you dead? And he said, I've been dramatic improvements since you were made. I said, that gets out of trouble. Sometimes you don't even mention it because people aren't thinking about it. Interestingly, no one said, wait a minute, how did he die? Believe me, I worried about that. But thought best not to make too much of it. Let the story sweep past it. This is a scene, should we have it in, should we not? And I always thought that the drawings are kind of interesting. And it shows how David Mines has worked and his own capability and structure of his own chemistry or biological thinking that what did he do? Something appalling. And he's, she's about to find that out. Now they're in the laboratory looking for Orem. And he finds him. Here, Orem's dead in the ground. The loose thing that was in there, got out the egg, comes after him, leaves. Quite good, this thing running, scuttling around on the floor. And here's, I thought, quite successful. Bam. As fast as a, a rattlesnake. Funny enough, a cobra is less quick. The rattlesnake's very fast. And the feather lance is really deadly, very quick. And so this, this thing with its tail is incredibly fast. It's already burning his face, in, true to the jawbone. Whatever happened now, he would die anyway. So now it's evolved up top into a fully grown xenomorph, the armored version, because it came out of the facehugger and the egg with a human life form. Quite the little busybody. Remind me, what is that about? <laughs> Curiosity in the cat. Shaw didn't die in the crash. No. What did you do to her? Exactly what I'm going to do to you. Obviously, the violence here. Not many people would take this. To be thrown against the bookcase like that, you'd never get up. But, you know, this is movie line time. And she's tough. I can see why Walter thought so. I love the fact that we drove the nail under his chin from the nail that was around her neck, which is from the cabin on the lake. And just continuation of that idea and that theme. He bleeds white, like in home bled white. Bang. Now you have the meeting of the two. Yikes. You'd never survive a fall like that, but these guys are AIs. You're meant to be dead. There have been a few updates since your day.
AI's fighting, I thought, you know, but we so we keep the fight short and violent because I think that's we've seen enough of these fights. The fight's good because of David fighting Walter, but it works pretty well with this mix, pretty savage. But it adjusts at the end of the fight. It's more about what happens at the end of the fight than this. They're two well matched AIs. Any one of these blows would kill you. Michael would do this fight first one way, then the other. So he did the fight two ways, learning both the moves on two, two different characters. Michael's very good physical actor. Serve in heaven or reign in hell. Which is it to be? Where's Arm? Dead! Throw it! Tennessee, do you read? Tennessee coming in, wind, dawn, mix, etc., stormy. Of course, the beacon sends a beacon to him. This makes you think and think, and then goes back. I see your beacon. I'm coming in. Get out of here! This platform is just a platform with everything added to it around it, but it's driven by the same 30-ton hydraulic system that's put goes underneath a platform upon which, which moves it. So every movement you see is from the, the push and pull of the pistons. And everything else, we just shoot. So what you had there was a platform and just the, the cabin. Everything else didn't exist, not even the engines. So everything else is put in. Almost before I begin the film, I do what you call a gray screen or green screen animation, which to me is essential. So by the, when I get to cut the movie, I'm not waiting for a shot. It's going to take months to do. I can cut in the green screen shot of the green screen animation. Instead of having a blank card saying scene missing, which is awful because it just slows you down the process, you're actually looking at something. Give me a shot. Give me a shot. Gonna burn him. Starburn side. I'm gonna try and torch the fucker. Plasma. Doesn't he's gonna be burning when he comes up. Doesn't care. Shit, we can't get it. Hold tight, hold tight. I'm starting my climb. This is one which is. Pure special effects worked out in a platform, and the, the gal leaping around and being yanked all over the place, uh, with a stunt lady, of course, as well. But actually, Catherine's pretty physical and good at this stuff. 
she did a lot of it with a very good stunt lady who's a very good double. So that's why it, it'll end up working fairly seamless. And, you know, we invent this stuff on the deck, the thing that's a sliding gyroscope that shortens the cable. You just make that shit up on the spot. But you got to make them. So we made it so it looks like it's real. And we'll go up and down the deck. There's many going up and down the deck. Because the decks are fundamentally for cargo loaders. So she's on a cargo loader. Release the crane. I can't do that. It'll unbalance us. Just do it. Now she's going to do something outrageous. It's going to completely unbalance the ship. This crane arm probably weighs three tons, so it's going to throw it off balance. And it's the only way she can get rid of this creature. The creature momentarily thinks it's a monster and attacks it. Then he brains itself, gets clamped. Now she's got the device. She wants to crush it and get rid of it. But he's losing the ship, so he's going down. And she's gone off. Ula. Now she's hanging there. She's going to come back around. Bash. And she's going to crush it. She's going to try and crush it. Cut it to pieces. But it'll probably, when it gets in the ground, will DNA back to parts and regrow. He's indestructible. But he's done for them. He's let, they left him behind. I always thought this was rather than realistic, was more fun. We see her literally running across the ground as opposed to getting dragged. There. I think that's quite funny, actually. It's fun. You certainly ain't gonna stand there and get dragged, you know? The smoking acid, which is melting the alien itself. That goes much further. We can see a few teeth, so it's kind of quite nasty. Sick, really. These pads, we made these pads up based on the Vietnam pads that are field dressing. But by then, they'll have, I think, temporary flesh in the padding. You'll clip it on, it'll be growing. So when we come to getting on board the ship, we see his face already being implanted with those balls of uh, what look like plasticine of flesh. You put them on, spread them out, and the flesh will start to join. This all scratches the surface of real technology, you know. I think a field dressing is more than just anesthetic and cleaning it. I think it also, see here, I, I thought, what am I going to do? So I rolled them into little balls on the spot because it seemed to make sense. And it fitted into the cavities in his cheek in a very nasty way. I'm just a medic. He's going to need reconstructive surgery by a real doctor. I don't think anyone thinks the film is over now. The trick is to keep it going. 
Now we know he is very suspect, but she's not sure yet. So now the audience is working it more than she is, thinking he's definitely going to do something. That's David. Isn't that David or is that Walter? You don't really know. That's good dynamics, I think. That's interesting. Of course, any AI is going to evolve. So anybody saying at the beginning, well, I knew this was going to happen. Of course you do, you idiot. Because if you're going to have two, there's bound to be something happens, duh. That's just as a duh, okay? I love beavers and butthead, duh. It says everything, that doesn't it? Duh. Some smart aleck in the test said, I knew something was going to happen. I said, yeah. It's dependent on how fascinated you are by seeing what he will do or what they will do to each other. Evening. You look good. So it was at the end of Alien. It was all written that when Sigourney gets inside that shuttle, they close the door, it's over. And I felt it was flat. It needs another evolution, so you need a fourth act. So I sat down and wrote the fourth act, which is what would happen inside the escape shuttle. And it cost money, so they didn't want to do it. But I think it's the whole difference of the film. And then when I had to go and pitch it, extra five days shooting, because it came outside, fell, got burned, went back inside, blew it out again. And I had to hoist the shuttle vertically so when you can do the space thing. And it was worth every penny. So here, I thought an end on an end on an end and on an end. That's a vanity, you recognize that? That's from the first alien. That thing's from the first alien, literally. I think you're beginning to think, now, you're looking at him, and now we suspect that we don't know what it is, but there's something about him. Captain Daniels, now, Mother has informed them that there's an unidentified life form. There is an unidentified life form on the ship. Attention. Captain Daniels, please report to the Med Bay. Repeat, Captain Daniels. And he, is that a smile? It is, maybe it's a smile. It, what is he, what, is he watching the death of Lope there? Oh my God. Walter, location of unidentified. So the, Lope's body gave birth to another alien. This will be a xenomorph. This will be the big alien. Because its source is facehugger and human DNA. Be dead between hex three and four. Heading for crew quarters. If you're looking at David as Walter and Walter as David, I think David as, as Walter will be hoping for their death. So then he's just left with the ship and the, all the the human beings in hyperstream, which fits perfectly for him. Because we don't know, but he'll be carrying two objects which will utilize all those 2,000 people as a form of evolution. Didn't want to show too much of him, keep him exclusive. I thought this was a pretty good way of saying he's there. That's good, see that behind? Shadow, that's a guy in a costume, it's quite good. But then this is, that's, that's nasty. 
and this is pretty good. CLB 39. He made short work of that lot. Walter, where is it? Daniels, this way. So she figures the only way to do this is to get it into her area. So already she has a plan in the back of her mind of what she's going to do. It's the only way, because they can't shoot it on board the ship. If they do, the acid blood will burn through the... the they don't want a hole in the ship anywhere. A small hole could be plugged, of course, but you don't want that to happen. And if it's a kind of particular industrial level of acid, it may never stop burning. Okay, Walter, where is it? It's on V-deck, starboard side, descending into sea level. K-13. So this is what the alien sees, because then I don't have to show the alien. I, sh I just show its point of view. It's kind of interesting. It's consistently organic. Based on, you know how, do you have floaters in your eyes? Got a floater? Well, it's kind of going along with that. Does this thing have floaters? See, you'll see 61. Open airlock 17, we're going in. K-12, secure. Keep him in knuckle 12 till my say. I always wanted David to study it with great interest and bam. Okay, this is what we're gonna do. I'll lure it into the truck, lock it in the cabin. When I say when, you blow this fucker into space. Understood. So you need to hear the plan, kind of. In other words, she's pre premeditated this. It's a tiny thing, but it makes it even more heroic, if you like. Walter, move him into airlock 18. Don't shoot if you can avoid it. It's blood will eat through the hull. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. I'm in position. Walter? Open door to terraforming bay. It's all yours. Remember, release when I say. Understood. Let's kill this fucker. 
I think a cockroach, if you look at them, is quite beautiful. And they're the cleanest of the beetles, you know that? And a cockroach, as they say, will inherit the world. It'll survive an atomic explosion and survive that kind of heat. It's a remarkable creature. So also is a rather beautiful cockroach, massive, but with a brain and completely aggressive. Watching a documentary recently, uh, two nights ago, on predators, both cheetahs, lions, crocodiles, all the predatorial creatures have families and have children and how they teach the kids how to eat and how to hunt. Suddenly it's logical, it's about survival, it's not savagery. So does an alien have a family? Maybe, eventually. Do you see an alien nursing his newborn? Maybe. Seeing a cheetah teach her children to hunt and then to avoid the one that can kill them is the, what I call the garbage disposal unit of the hyena. They are absolutely deadly. They'll take the babies, they always go for the babies. Before they open the door, when they're on the planet, then it would have been equalized. The, the atmosphere would have been... Opening it here, you've formed a blizzard of stuff. Because any, anything inside that room when the door opens would, have, would freeze instantly. <laughs> you want to give a girl a hand? <laughs> Very Hollywood line. Is he disappointed, relieved, or what? There's something going on. Resume journey to Uruguay 6. Now, if you're in suspicion by now, you're in deep suspicion here. Thank you. He survived. You're next, Captain. Would you go to sleep in the casket in that room? I wouldn't. When you wake up... We'll By now, you must have guessed there is a problem with Walter, who is definitely David. But now you... But I hope you're curious enough to know what on earth is he up to. It will be a kind world. That's when the dais are just tucking in his kids. She discovers here. She mentions something he doesn't know what she's talking about. Walter? When we get there, will you help me build my cabin? Have 
and on the lake. She recognizes David. Now it's David. Don't let the bed bugs bite. In his English Englishness. I'll tuck in the children. Use security code David 73694-B. Welcome. How may I help you? Now you do a full circle on the prologue, because he talks about in the prologue of Wagner's Das Rheingold. And so he's going to ask, this is his favorite piece of music, because it's about the gods entering Valhalla, and the gods are false and artificial. And that's his favorite thing, because he feels that he is a god. And what they don't know is you think, okay, how is this going to be valid? How is he going to have the seeds of the alien on the ship, how, what opportunity do you have to bring it on board? And here's the answer. I got this off a project I'm doing called Cartel, running drugs across the borders and on aircraft. And I learned about girls swallow contained cocaine capsules in contraceptives and they can swallow as many as 30 and then when they go come through they then bring them up or you know whatever and they are carrying drugs that way can you believe it and i thought that was a pretty good way of getting alien babies on board used to have in here a little Adolf Hitler kick, but I took it out because I thought it was a bit comical uh, for what we're doing. But it came off me seeing a documentary footage of Adolf Hitler on the, in Birch's Garden on the Eagle's Nest. He just celebrating some victory and gave a champagne glass to Goering or something and did a little heel click like Chaplin. It was shocking. I was surprised he was so fit. On course for Orgai 6. Hopefully this transmission will reach the network and be relayed in 1.36 years. This is Walter signing off. Security code 31564-S. And that's it. I hope you enjoyed this thing, this chat, and um, I hope it clarifies things and uh, enjoy the film. Bye.